when you're up against a hostile room of people who don't want to be there, you need real strategies that get results. Welcome to From Hostage to Hero, the show that gives you practical advice you can use right now in the courtroom, boardroom, or classroom. Learn how to move your unwilling audience to one that is invested in what you're saying, eager to participate, and engaged in the process. Learn from the attorney whisperer herself, your host, Sari Delamont. Hey there, welcome to another episode of From Hostage to Hero. How are y'all doing? We're getting into the new year. Can you believe it? We made it into 2021. Well, we're here and we're talking today about motive. Now, before we do that, I want to remind you that you can join the From Hostage to Hero Facebook group. That is our free Facebook group where you want to talk about the podcast and you can talk about the book. In fact, if you love the podcast, would you please give us a review? You can just hit the five-star review unless you think it's less than five. That's fine. We want all reviews, although they are currently all five stars, at least the recording of this podcast. Uh, you can go to trialguides.com and review the book there. That just gets it in the hands of more people. That's really what we're all about. Let's just get this message out there. All right. Today, we're talking about the concept of motive. What to do when you have no motive. And you might be thinking, what the hell are you talking about? Sorry, motive? These are civil cases, not criminal cases. And that, my friends, is exactly the point, is that when we think of trial, when we think of court cases, especially we being jurors, we tend to think of criminal cases. Think of all the things that are on TV. They're almost all around criminal cases. And so we're always talking about motive and opportunity and you got to have a motive to find the person guilty. The problem is, is that jurors also want motive in plaintiff cases. In fact, they may even want it more, even though motive isn't something that is required for us to prove this is not, you know, the issue. The issue is that jurors are requiring it anyway. And here's why. Jurors really have a problem, as I think most of us do, maybe in play of attorneys don't, but, you know, before we were in this world, of really penalizing or punishing accidents or mistakes, all right? So if for some reason we feel that the person didn't mean to do something, we give them a pass. And as you all know, that's a problem in our cases, right? When we don't have that motive uh, to, to prove the piss off point is what I call it, then our cases become much harder to win because of that lack of motive. The second reason that jurors want motive is because of defensive attribution, right? So and this is a little bit different. Normally when we talk about defensive attribution, we talk about it in terms of not telling the story, for example, from the plaintiff's point of view, because as we walk through all the things and the decisions, the steps that the plaintiff took on their way to injury, the jurors are looking at all of those steps, knowing the scary thing, the horrible thing that happened to the plaintiff and calculating, well, if they hadn't done this and they hadn't done that, and what they're really thinking is, I wouldn't have done that. I wouldn't have done this, which isn't necessarily true as we know, but it's a way to protect ourselves, right? We want to think and believe that if I had been there, I could have avoided this by taking these steps. Here it's a little different. You know, I always come back to the quote by Rick Friedman that 
says, we used to look at the plaintiff, you know, sitting there in the wheelchair and think, man, that could have been me there. But by the grace of God, go I. I mean, I, I could have just been walking down the street and somebody just barrels around the corner and hits me. But now with tort reform, we look at the defendant and we think, there but by the grace of god go i man we have a sue happy culture people sue for any little thing if i accidentally do something if i make a mistake if i didn't mean to do it but i hurt somebody somebody's gonna come and sue me for millions and millions of dollars so in that way jurors also want a motive right they want they want to feel like it's only okay to punish someone who meant to do it because otherwise that could be me Right? We all make mistakes. Shit happens. And so this concept of motive is a real big one, is it not? It's something we have to deal with as plaintiff attorneys. So here's what I want to say to you. If you have a motive, I mean, your first step is to always look for motive, right? I think we, we miss this step sometimes. We're looking at um, all the other things in our case, but I'm always asking, well, why? Why would they have done this? Or why wouldn't they, in many of our cases, not have done this? Why wouldn't they have put the safety rules in place? Why wouldn't they have followed the protocol? Why wouldn't they have warned or or guarded or, you know, whatever the case may be. I'm always looking for the why. Because when you ask that why question, why didn't they do the thing they were supposed to do or why did they do the thing they weren't supposed to do, oftentimes that will lead us to a motive. Most of the time, as you know, that motive is money because it costs money, because it saved them money, uh, money or time, because it was too much to, to deal with. It was too much of a hassle. So there you can find motive. And if you have the motive, you want to definitely use that and bring it into your case, into your case strategy, into your case themes. Um, sometimes we want to come right out with it. Other times we want to hint at it. Really depends on your case. But the, the first point I want to make is if you've got the motive, fucking use it for sure. And that's where a great trial consultant or focus group, or if you're in the H2H crew, your crew members, could definitely help you is just bring in a case and ask, is there a motive here and what is it? And that will get us started and then we start to look at how to massage it. And, and by the way, that is part of what your your subscription pays for. You get to have a hot seat with me every month if you grab it first. It's first come, first serve. And you get 20, 25 minutes with me to just talk through your case, whatever you want to talk about. So get in the crew. All right. The bigger question though, which is what the point of this podcast episode is, is what if you don't have a motive? What do you do then? Well, here's what you don't do. And I've seen this backfire almost every time. You don't fucking manufacture a motive, right? You don't try to come in and say that some country doctor who has been working there for 30 years and is respected in the community suddenly went rogue and decided to carve up somebody's liver on purpose or whatever the case may be. Sometimes because we're so attuned to, I've got to have a reason for why this guy made this mistake or this gal made this mistake, that we start manufacturing motives and jurors can see right through that. We definitely do not want to get into the space of manufacturing motives. So avoid that. So what about if we don't actually have a motive? So I'm thinking of cases like car crash cases where, or doctor med mal cases where, you know, it is a, a good doctor. It is someone who um, basically didn't 
do anything necessarily wrong on purpose, right? They they looked down for a second. Um, their shoe broke and came off of the gas pedal. They, you know, whatever the case may be, there was no intent to harm, right? Which is a lot of what our plaintiff cases in, involve. In those cases, this is really important that you get this, you want to focus on the violation of a principle or a rule, right? So this is where I think of Ed Capozzi's work in Proximate Cause. You know, Ed Capozzi, if you know him, great attorney from New Jersey, and he uses the blocks, right, the domino. He's the one that wrote the domino theory. And he talks about how if you take this one thing out, none of the other things would happen. Right. So if you take out this that's one safety rule they didn't follow, then none of these other things would happen. The injury and then the result of the injury and all of the, the, the healing and the, and the having to go back and you know, whatever it may be. If you focus on that one piece or many sometimes as many pieces and you take those out. And that's what's so great about the domino theory is he knocks over the first block and it doesn't hit over the other ones. Right. It shows it stops here. That's how you get jurors on board. For example, in a case, a rear end case where the person's like, I just looked down for a second or they came out of nowhere. What's the block we're looking for that would have avoided this altogether? Well, it's the fact that what have we all been taught since we took our driver's license test at the age of 16? At least I was 16 when I took it. You leave enough room. That's the very point of that rule is that if you leave enough room, if somebody stops really fast in front of you or your shoe breaks or you look down, which you shouldn't have done anyway, that's another violation, that you will be able to stop in time. You know, somebody in our, our group brought up the Mo Levine thing of where he asked people to raise their hand and say, how many of you have had a children a, a child dart out in front of you in traffic? And a lot of the jury will, will raise their hand. He said, keep your hand raised if you hit that child. And every hand goes down. Why? He's making the point that it's possible to stop and that it's outside of the norm to not stop. Why? Because you didn't leave enough distance, because you were going too fast, whatever it may be. So the point is, what we tend to go is we're trying to manufacture motive. What we really need to do in cases that there really is no motive, it was something that someone didn't mean to happen, doesn't mean they're not responsible. That's where we need to refocus the jury. So instead of going to motive, we refocus the jury. We say, this is, yes, the person may not have meant for this to happen. However, this is the part that was in their control. And this is where they violated that principle that we all, the social contract, for example, when we all get our driver's licenses, I like to talk a lot about how we all sign a social contract in our souls, in our minds, right? We agree not to just keep ourselves safe, but to be on the lookout so we keep everybody else safe out on the road. That is a contract when we all go out in the cars that we know we can not just hurt ourselves, but other people. And so part of that contract is obeying traffic rules. And so we have rules so that things don't happen. Same thing in med mal cases, right? Where they say, well, you know, they didn't, the doctor didn't mean to hurt anybody, you know, and, and the big one in med mal cases is, you know, this is, this is an art, not a science, right? We're in there and we're doing the best we can. Well, that's exactly why we have rules, 
right? I'm thinking of a case I worked years ago with hands-off communication, right? Where the communication didn't get handed off. And so things got screwed up. And the thing is, well, there's so much happening in the ER. Of course, you know, things are going to get screwed up. No, that's why we have rules around how communication needs to be handed off so that things don't get lost. See, the place where we get into trouble in these cases where we try to focus on what the defendant is saying and we try to defend the defense, right? They say, well, I, you know, I didn't mean to do it and they just came out of nowhere. And we go, well, that's not possible. And we we focus on what they're saying. What I want you to do is I want you to pull back and go, okay, let's give them that. Let's say the car came out of nowhere. How fast were you going? Why didn't you leave enough space? Right. So we tend to jump in right after the defense and get in their mess instead of going, wait a minute, let's go a couple steps back. Again, this is where Ed Capozzi's book would come in real handy and see what could have happened to avoid this in the first place. Because when we focus on the the incident or the, the defense's version of the incident, that's where we get in trouble. When we try to hang our hat there and we that's what the jury starts to argue in the back right? Whether the car came out of nowhere or not. That's not what we want the jurors to be arguing about. We want the jurors to be arguing about the fact that we keep a proper distance so that if cars come out of nowhere, so that if somebody stops right at the very, right, real quick, you can stop. Notice how that changes the conversation altogether. It refocuses the jury, which brings me to the last thing that I want to talk to you about, which is if you do not have motive you need to admit it. That actually increases your credibility. So in med mal cases, you need to say, no one here is saying the doctor meant to harm her. Or in your rear end cases, no one is saying that she wanted to hurt the other driver. That makes you look smart and important. And this is where, again, we go back, we, we, we backfire when we try to manufacture that motive because the jurors, are, again, are not thinking of the person that just got hit. They're thinking, I could have been that driver. And so when you're saying, no one's saying that she meant to hurt that person, you're saying to the juries, no one's saying that if this happened to you, you meant to do it. But what we are saying is that there are steps that she chose not to follow that you jurors, of course, would follow, right? Is kind of what you're saying. I would don't say that out loud. And that's what could have avoided this. Maybe the thing that happened couldn't have been avoided, questionable, but there are steps that could have been taken that could have avoided this in the first place. That's where we want to refocus the jury and get their attention. And there's other things we can do too, of course, which is talking about responsibility. And you want to voir dire the hell out of this. Uh, that's the one thing about Ed and, and Capozzi and how uh, wonderful he is that he wins so much because there's no fucking voir dire in New Jersey. How does he do it? I don't know. Voir dire is the key to everything in my mind. But you want to voir dire this. You want to talk about, you know, it, can you hold someone accountable if they didn't mean to do it, right? Can you, are you able to do that? Let's talk about that. Um, why do we leave space between vehicles? You're going to want to get all of that from the jury. So the jury says so that you can avoid accidents. Get all of that from the jury first. As you know, or maybe not, my whole method is we source everything from the jury and then we use it later. So when it comes to motive, if you have it, use it. If you don't, refocus the jury. I hope that helps. Get in the crew. I hope to see you soon. Thanks for joining me today. If you benefited from what we talked about or just want to let me know you enjoy the podcast, 
Go ahead and leave me a review on whichever platform you use to listen to From Hostage to Hero. Add a comment and I just might give you a shout out on an upcoming episode. In the meantime, head over to FromHostageToHero.com to order your copy of my book, From Hostage to Hero, Captivate the Jury by Setting Them Free. And to get on my mailing list, I send out trial tips and encouragement right to your inbox every single week. And while you're there, make sure you join the waitlist to become an H2H crew member when we reopen. We only open a few times each year and you do not want to miss out. I look forward to our time together in next week's episode. Talk then.